Thank you for coming back, being with us again. You know, being here on a Saturday morning is like, wow, this is Saturday. But thank you for allowing God to bring you aside from your normal work days, normal activities. And I know that Saturday, for very many, is kind of a catch-up day. Maybe even a day of rest. But to be, come aside with God and to say, you know, can you give up, if you would, using that term, but can you set aside at least one morning for me? And so thank you for doing that. How many of you were not here last night? Oh, oh, just a couple of you. Now, I can't see well. Your name is Todd. We've met before here because you've been here before. Okay, so good. I remember that. And your name is Dan. Okay, I remember you too. This is Mrs. Smith, everyone. And for those of you in television land, glad you could join us this morning. How many of us have children or grandchildren? Great. Wonderful. Now, we all have desires and aspirations for our children, correct? Or grandchildren. It would be highly unusual if you don't. This is just part of who we are. It's part of being a parent. And if you're like I am, and I think we all are in this particular issue, about the same. I have one daughter and I have four monsters, four grandchildren. Linda Pratt says to me last night, please call them monsters because they really are. You didn't say that? I must have misunderstood you. I just must have misunderstood her. And there's a lot I want for my children. I call my grandchildren my children. You know, they are by one generation, but they're still my children. And among the things that I want for my children, I want one thing especially. I want my children to be extraordinary, unusual, to stick out in the crowd among the people. And I don't want that in a way that my grandson is the most intelligent young man in school, although he made literally straight A's in engineering at Louisiana Tech. But don't take that as a bragging of a grandpa. Don't do that. That's fine, but that's secondary. Because it will all pass away, won't it? What I want for my daughter and my four grandchildren is one thing only. I want them to be great in the kingdom of God. That's what I want for them. That's my zeal for my grandchildren. That they be great in the eyes and in the understanding and in the pleasure of God himself. Everything else is extremely secondary to me. 
And why do I want that? Why would I want that? Because I'm an unusual, weird. You, you have a cold or something? If you have a next to Frank a lot, he makes a lot of little noises, you know. It's not because I'm unusual or weird. I didn't say I'm not. It's not just because of that. It's because I have in me, by the Holy Spirit, the same desire that you have in you, if you have the Holy Spirit. We have in us, built in us, God the Father's consuming desire that his children be seen as great. Amen? That's where we get it from. That's where we get it from. And so today we want to talk about how does that happen? You see, because God has certainly birthed us into his kingdom by the Holy Spirit being born again. We discussed that last night. And by the way, I think you can go on YouTube or whatever and follow what we said last night. Isn't that how they do it, Frank? YouTube. Okay. How does God do that? Sorry, why does God do that? Why has God saved us? He has saved us in order to share himself with us, to share us with him. But not just to share us with him and him with us to have this relationship, but that this relationship would be expressive to everyone, to the angels in heaven, to the demons to express to everyone one great truth that our God is a great God and that that greatness of God is visibly seen, displayed, and experienced in His Son who now, because of the Holy Spirit living in us, Now the Son of God now lives in us. Therefore, the same greatness of God's Son is to be displayed in us. God has saved us for the greatness of His Son to be displayed in us. Amen? So you see where you get it from. This zeal, this desire. I remember years ago, Ashley, my daughter, was, I think, 14 years old. She was leaving the eighth grade and... At the end of the eighth grade graduation, you know, you're leaving, what is it called, um, junior high and going into high school. And the school, every year, gave an award, and I've forgotten the name of it, but it was an award that was a mixture of good grades, but not straight A's, but, you know, good grades. But undergirding that, and more important than that, It was an award that identified an eighth grader who had exhibited character during those years that was pleasing and good character, etc. And so I'm sitting in the auditorium with all the other eighth grade parents. And so they started going down the list and... They said something about good grades. I said, Gene, 
my wife, I said, well, I don't know if that, you know, Ashley's going to make that one, whatever. You know, I'm just sitting there, whatever. And so they show the award and they say, this year's recipient, by the way, they did not give it every year. There were some years where they had to skip it. Not because of grades, but because of character of the kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so she's, and this year's recipient is Ashley Davidson. Whoa! It had to come out. It had to come out. My wife went that away. <laughs> she was mortified. People looked around and they could see that's her dad. And you know what? I wasn't embarrassed in the least because I wanted everyone to know that that was my daughter who received that reward. Now, when we went to my granddaughter, oldest granddaughter's <laughs> graduation, my wife says, please, <laughs> if they give her an award, don't say anything. I said, you may have to move. Because I am going to say something. It's deep, isn't it? In us as children. As parents. Amen. And this is deeper in God. Than it ever is in you. And God sits in his heaven, if you would. And as we are being the display of his son. I can just hear the father roaring in heaven. Yes. That's my girl. That's my boy. I want that to grab your heart this morning. Because life is worth living only for that reason. What else is life about? Everything else is incidental. That's the reason that makes life worth it. That's what fills our great Heavenly Father with joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Where the prophet Zephaniah says, and God dances for joy over us. So this morning, let's talk about God's purpose for making us his children. And what I've just said, I want you to take what I've said and put it within the context of this verse in Romans 8, 29. I don't know what verses I have in your notes or whatever. Sometimes I add things and so on. So if there is something that I quote in the Bible and you don't have it in your notes and you want to have it, write it down. If you don't remember what I said, just raise your hand and I'll stop and repeat it. I was a school teacher. I don't mind doing that. That doesn't interrupt me. Romans eight twenty nine. Do you have that in there? The Lord says, we have been predestined. We this is God's purpose in saving us. To conform us, this is what Frank was talking about initially, to conform us to the image of his own son. This is what I've been talking about. Just putting it in biblical context here. Romans 8.29 tells us that we were saved. 
we were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So that when God the Father looks at us, when the people in this world look at us, see us, experience us, watch us, Dan, whom are they supposed to be seeing and experiencing and watching preeminently? The Lord Jesus himself. This is why you were saved. You see, this is not optional. This is God's great purpose, Lord, for bringing you into the kingdom. So God has made us his children so that we would be those who walk in the same way in which Jesus himself walked. That's from 1 John 2, 6. That we are to walk, meaning not just this, look, perambulation, but our way of life would be the same character, have the same power, have the same effect as Jesus himself. Now, how does that happen? You mean to tell me that God actually expects my life to look like the life of his own son? The life of purity and power. The life of ministry, the life of love and caring. The life of humility. I mean, are you kidding? It's one thing to be born into the kingdom of God by faith. But once I'm born into the kingdom of God, surely... I, may I emphasize that word I just used, I can't do this. I, emphasizing me, myself, cannot even live through the day without succumbing to temptations. Can any of you? How in the world are we going to live this way? How are we going to walk? How are we going to display this man? Whose walk with God overcame the demonic. Whose walk with God caused people to be healed. Whose walk with God caused him to be able to overcome the natural things of the world. Remember storms and how, how can we do that? You see, here's the problem. We are just ordinary people. Anybody in here extraordinary in the natural sense of the word? I mean, you are above, a cut above everybody else. Anybody in here like that? You probably think that, but you're not going to say it here. You're a cut above, you know. You know, you can do a better job than the old man Davidson up there. You can do a better job than Frank does at Alpha. I mean, pfft. You know you're more intelligent. You know, no, we're just ordinary people. So how can ordinary people be a living, walking, moment-by-moment moment display of the extraordinary God who has saved us and who seeks moment-by-moment moment to display the life of his extraordinary son in us and through us? How can that happen? We're just ordinary. How it can happen? We must be filled 
with the same extraordinary power by the Holy Spirit with which Jesus himself was filled. When I was in high school, my aunt and uncle, they brought us into the family. My mother had left us. It's a story for another day, maybe. In fact, if you want the story, they actually filmed it. You can go on YouTube and look under Pastor Peter Davidson and you'll see it. And so in 58, my aunt and uncle bought a 1958 Ford station wagon. It looked pretty much like this, but it was white and gray. Now look at that car. Now some of you today say, man, if I had that car. But this is in 58. And a Ford in 58 was just an ordinary car. We're not talking about a Lincoln or a Cadillac or Rolls Royce. We're talking about a Ford, for goodness sakes. And not only a Ford, but a station wagon. I mean, who buys a Ford station wagon to look good? It was a utilitarian vehicle, you know, to haul us around back and forth. There it is. An ordinary car. I mean, when we drove down the street, no one says, oh, look at that car. Oh, now today, if you drove down the street, you'd say what? Look at that car. You know what that says to me? The older I get, the more astonishing that people say he can still move. <laughs> he can still walk around, although this leg is giving me some trouble. But, you know, he can still manage at least somewhat. Frank, you're getting to be like that more and more, too. Well, I'm the oldest person in here. I'm sure. No, no. BJ may be years ahead of me. Everybody knows BJ back there. He's a little guy who's sleeping in the back. That's why he sat back there. <laughs> this is no distinguished car. But you see, this car, unbeknownst to us, was ordinary on the outside. But it was extraordinary under the hood. What do you mean by that? In those days and still today, and I wasn't aware of this, and Frank went online and found this. When my aunt and uncle bought the car and went to Bone Ford, remember that on Broad Street? And they bought this car. And you see... They weren't looking for anything except a car. But what they did not know is that there were, I think it was four or five station wagons left over that the police department did not buy. Now, what the police department did in those days, and they still do it. I think it's with Ford Explorers today, I think. They have a special engine put in their cars. You ain't getting just a six or eight cylinder car. You're getting an automobile which has what is called the interceptor engine. In other words, we're going to catch you. We're going to catch you. This thing had the interceptor engine in it. We didn't know that. All we knew is when you hit the accelerator, we were down the street. You know, most of <laughs> This thing had an interceptor engine in it. It had the Ford 
interceptor engine that was made specifically for the police departments to be able to get going quickly and catch the folks being pursued. So they bought the car. Okay. Now, this is fine. So occasionally I was allowed to use it. And see, in those days, everybody didn't have their own phone and their own car and whatever else. And we didn't even know we were being deprived. I mean, can you imagine not having the ability to take selfies and show everybody how good we look? Have, have some people really looked at yourself in that selfie? <laughs> I would be horrified to make a selfie of me and put it on Facebook. So, one night, I'm coming home, and I don't remember where I've been, why I've been, or whatever, but I think it's, I don't know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. It's dark. And I'm at the corner of Canal and South Galvez. At least some of you know the general area. And I drive up to the light and sitting at the light, waiting for the light to go from red to green. And as I'm sitting there up next to me comes this car, this young fella, like I'm a young fella now in those days. I'm not an old coot. How old am I in these days? About 16 or 17, somewhere 15, born in 43. So you do the math. And he pulls up. When one of these souped up cars, and he does a boom, I look at him, you know, like, I look at him like, I mean, don't, don't I look like the race car driver type? I'm what you would call in those days and maybe still a geek, you know, I even walk like a geek. So I looks at him and he looks at me. What does he want to do? You see, he wants to show me how much better his car is than mine. That old crate you have, I'm going to burn you out with my speed. Isn't that what he wants? I'm just sitting there, calm as a cucumber. I'm not nervous. I'm not sweating. Because you see, I know something he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know something he doesn't I have an experience he hasn't had and so do we as God's people we have in us God's interceptor engine the Holy Spirit I know something you don't know and so the light Goes green. I think before he could put his foot on the accelerator, I was a block away. I had to do it. You know, you know, I mean, I had to meet the challenge. It felt great. And I can still remember it today. That's how good it felt. I just had to do it. Now, maybe the devil made me do it. I don't know. But there's no way I'm going to allow him to think that this is just another Ford station wagon. I mean, even if it had been a Ford Fairlane 500 to some of, or Galaxy. Do you remember? Some of you remember those cars? It had been a little more obvious, but 
a station wagon. <laughs> so I tell you what. If today you go to the corner of Canal and South Galvez, you will see an old man sitting in an antique car like this. He's still trying to figure out what happened. He still doesn't believe. Huh? I don't know, but I would assume that this young fella didn't go back home and brag about what happened that night. Guess what? A Ford station wagon outran me. Very funny. But you see, very, very apropos to what we're talking about. Because you see, God has saved us. But on the outside, contrary to how you think, all of us look like ordinary Ford station wagons. On the outside, we ain't much to look at. Am I right? I mean, we're having to paint it over, prop it up, move it around, get it, you know, whatever. I had a cataract operation. They said, do I have cataract? I said, no, I have a Chevy truck. And so you have to think about that. It's just something. Cataract operation a couple of weeks ago. So with this eye, I can see pretty clearly, you know. See, I don't have a lens, lens in here. <gasps> oh, that eye. With this eye, it's still the lens. Now, so I can see okay with this one because it's made to see well. This one I see well now because of the lens in the eye. This one's a lens in the glass. You, you've never known these things? This is like a horror show. Are you okay? <laughs> I like this. Last night, someone was sitting next to me, and, and at the end of the, I just realized you don't have a lens in your eye, glass. And so, it's not a problem. <laughs> whew, whew. Can we put the cat? No. Whew, whew. For those of you on television, we have some real experiences here in this room. You should be here. You should have been here. You see, we told you to be here today. This is better than Howdy Doody Show. Old people will know what I'm talking about. Now, the reading, this one is focused one. This is focused differently. So on my notes, I kind of have to do this or whatever, and I've had to make the notes with 16 points so I can actually see what I'm looking at rather than doing this. I have to get here to here. It's, you see, this is not an extraordinary man in the natural standing before you. In fact, I, really, honestly, honestly, I consider myself as subordinary. I really do. Don't say that to, oh, no, I do. If you have experienced anything of God yesterday or even today as I speak, one thing you know. It's not because of this ordinary man. It is the power of our extraordinary Holy Spirit 
ministering through me to you. I'm just another station wagon. And so anything you have experienced at Alpha or this weekend, it's certainly not because of Frank Loria and Peter Davidson. It's because of the power of the presence of the Son of God in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what you're experiencing. Many of you, hopefully all of you, are experiencing some level of the extraordinary presence of the Holy Spirit ministered to you through just another car on the lot. You are experiencing that interceptor engine. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. See, I go back and forth. Should I do this? Would, would that help you out a little bit? <laughs> you see, we are ordinary cars, but under our hoods, if you would, is an extraordinary engine. And that engine's name is the Holy Spirit. And so this is what happens only through the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, as I read Acts 4.13. You know, we think of the apostles, Peter and John and James and Paul. Man, whoo, wow, no. These are just normal, extraordinary people. But they are people who are filled with the extraordinary power of God's spirit. That's the difference. This is what happens in Acts 4.13. And when they, the people, saw the courage of Peter and John. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? Remember who he is? Jesus is on trial. Do you remember this man, Peter? This great, strong man of God. You remember him? And at the trial, Peter and John are in the courtyard of the high priest. They got in the side door. And while the trial is going on, some little servant girl says, you were with Jesus. Oh, no, 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 ah, no, no, I was not. Mm, you have somebody else. No. I recognize your accent. You from Chalmette. No, 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 no. I don't know the man. Yes, I know. You. I don't know the man. And he leaves cursing. This is the great apostle Peter. We don't think of him that way, do we? How do we think of Peter, Paul, as colossals, don't we? I mean, would any of you want to be behind Peter and Paul in the line where the judgment is? Could you put me behind Peter Davidson rather than the apostle Peter because I'm going to look better after God is finished with that Peter Davidson fella than with the apostle Peter. I'd rather not be too close to him. Isn't that how we think? But these are just ordinary people. But you see, they have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit several weeks before. 
this same man who was cowering in the corner in Acts 4.13. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, in other words, speaking against all those who were opposed to Jesus. This man was in your face telling you the word of God. They realized that they were ordinary men. Do you have this in your notes? Ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that what? These men had been with Jesus. When they saw the boldness. The courage. When they saw the ability of these men to handle the word of God. To deal with opposition. When they saw this. They remembered another man. They remembered Frank. Wait a minute. That's the same thing that Jesus did. How can that be? We killed him. How can it be? Is he back some way? They saw Jesus. They saw the boldness. The proclamation. The knowledge of the word of God. They saw the glory of God in these two men. That had rested on the Lord Jesus. They saw it in these two men. Just two ordinary people. But when the world came into contact with them. They experienced. Oh my word. This person. Is not what you see. This person. Is almost as it were. Someone else. You know, when we think of Jesus, is there, is there anyone who had a life that could even begin to be compared to his life? Is there anyone who exercised the power of God? To any degree near him, no. When he was on earth, he was a totally unique man. There were others in the past who exercised some power here or there, you know. But in this man, the absolute total and full presence and power of God the Father was upon him and in him and being displayed through him. So when they saw Jesus, they saw and understood and knew that God the Father was like. And you say, well, of course, that's Jesus. But you see, that isn't the answer. Because the Son of God had taken to himself a human body and a human soul. But when he did this, the Son of God purposefully and intentionally and willfully and joyfully set aside the use of his own divine power so that this man, Jesus, lived every moment of his life totally, completely dependent upon the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not do one thing by the power of the Son of God in him. He lived a life that was completely and absolutely needing, depending upon, cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at Jesus' life, you see the power of the Holy Spirit in every word, every activity, everything about him. So Jesus himself needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of the Spirit. Now, if Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit's power, do we? Remember, when Jesus was conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There was never a moment in the life of the human being from the moment of his conception all the way through that he did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in him. But one day, God sent him into the wilderness. And in Luke chapter 3, you see this, or Matthew chapter 3. Jesus came into the wilderness under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to be baptized. Do you remember by John the baptizer? And Jesus went under the water and came up. A picture of, I'm going to die for my people and then I'm going to rise. And when he came up out of the water, what happened? The voice of God from heaven speaks to a man for the first time since the Garden of Eden. You are my son in whom I am what? Not just pleased, but what? Well pleased. And the Spirit of God, as a dove, descended upon him. And what? Rested upon him. He was now being empowered to conduct the ministry for which God had appointed and anointed him. He was now receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the world and to live in such a way as to display the personal presence of God and to go to the cross to atone for our sin. You need power for that. He needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the result? Luke 4, 1 through 2. And Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the temptations of Satan. And so he's in the spirit, in the wilderness, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he overcomes all the temptations of the devil. And then he comes out of the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, and goes into Galilee. So what's the result? I think these are in your notes. Jesus ministered to people's needs by the power of the Spirit. Do you have that in your notes? 
And I want you to take note of this that's in your notes. Don't skip this. If Jesus had not the power of the Holy Spirit for ministry, he would not have ministered. There was only one way he could minister the presence and the glory of God. And that was by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Do we see that? This was not an optional thing for him. This was absolutely centrally significant and necessary. He had to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He fed thousands. How? By the power of the Spirit. You can speak it if you want to. He healed diseases. How? By the power of the Spirit. He forgave sin. How? By the power of the Spirit. He raised the dead. How? By the power of the Spirit. He went to the cross. How? By the power of the Spirit. He rose from the dead. How? By the power of the Spirit. And he saves us. How? By the power of the Spirit. And so what you see when you look at Jesus raising the dead, walking on the water, stilling storms, casting out demons. What do you see here? You see an ordinary man filled with the extraordinary presence and power of God to do things that nobody can do in the natural. I mean, you just go to the next funeral and stand at the coffin and start yelling and screaming at the person in the coffin to come out of the coffin. That's not happening unless the power of the Holy Spirit leads you to do that and enables you to do that. Next time we have a thunderstorm, you run out on your front yard and say, stop and see if it stops. The next time you're tempted to sin, to have an attitude, a desire, to feel resentment, jealousy, anger. The next time, see if you can stop on your own. Oh, you could for a moment, but it's going to come right back. Can we even do the simple thing of saying no to Satan and be successful without the power of the Spirit? No. No. You see, we're not talking about the big things of raising people and opening Lake Pontchartrain so we can all walk across on dry ground. We're talking about the very incidental, if you would, ordinary, regular things of our daily life. Because that's where the power of God is residentially manifested in us so that people and even we even my wife, my daughter, or your husbands, your parents, etc., can see that what is happening in this man, in this woman, is not natural. It's not natural. Do you see that? It's God. This is God. And they will be astonished because they see someone in you that they were not expecting to see. They've experienced someone when they've been with you that they had not expected to experience. I remember years ago when I was in college, I was working at Lions Center, Chapatulas and Louisiana Avenue. 
And a man named Charlie Rodriguez was hired to be the maintenance man. Just a cleaning guy. He just cleaned floors and toilets. Toilet is New Orleans for toilet. I mean, that's all he was. He was just, and this guy was just kind of an older man. Pushing the big, big flat mop around the gym every night, cleaning up. That's all he was. He didn't even have a high school education. And I'm in college. I know stuff. And when I began to be with this man, I had never experienced the presence of God in any person. And when I began to be with Charlie Rodriguez, I was overwhelmed. <gasps> and as often as I could after work, I would literally follow this man around the gym as he cleaned the floors. And he spoke about Jesus. I had never experienced anything. And even today, thinking about it, it's like, oh, here was a subordinary person. A servant, a cleanup man in whom I experienced the extraordinary presence of the Son of God. I've never forgotten the experience. That's what is God's will for us to be displaying every day of our lives with everyone with whom we come in contact. That's God's will. And because Jesus needed to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, what about the disciples? They needed to be filled. And remember, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, having been on earth now for 40 days. You remember that? Pentecost, 10 days before Pentecost. And Jesus says to these gathered disciples, don't start ministering and don't go out into the world and don't do anything, anything yet. Because you need one more thing. You need one more thing. You need to be endued or filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1.8, you know, he says in a few days from now, you are going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it. Therefore, Jesus commanded them. He didn't say, hey, why don't you think about this? He commanded them. Why? Because it was fundamentally significant and necessary to have the power of the Spirit in order to manifest his presence clearly and dramatically and poignantly. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's, wait for what the Father promised. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, you will receive what power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. I saved you so that in you and through you, I may be witnessed. People may see me and hear me. And as a result, be drawn to God the Father by the Spirit to be saved. You've been saved to declare me. He says, wait, 
you're going to need power. Because the propensity is this. You're going to try to do it in your own power. And it's not going to work. This is why these men were saved. I'm sorry, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think this may be pretty common among most believers, especially in the beginning. Pretty common among most, at least. We become born again by the Spirit, and now in us is a new desire. Correct? What is that desire? Oh, I want to serve him. I want to be an effective witness. I want to obey God. I want to please my father. Right? I don't want to sin anymore. I want to. Oh, got it. Isn't that it? And so what we do in order to achieve this new desire in us, which is the desire of God, the father in us. That's why you have that desire. It's the father's desire in you. What we do then typically is I'm going to start trying to do the best I can. Now, think about it. I'm in this car. And I need to go somewhere. And I say, I need to go somewhere. So I'm going to get there. I'm going to push this car. I'm going to push it. I'm going to try. I'm going to turn over 52 leaves enough to, you know, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to make promises. I'm going to do all this stuff. <coughs> I'm going to get that car up that hill. Because that's what God wants. God gave me this car in order for me to push it up the hill. <coughs> Excuse me, I get all choked up about this. Have you ever thought that way? Now that I'm saved, <coughs> now I, may I emphasize the word I, <clears throat> I have to start living a particular way. I have to start doing things differently. The emphasis is on I. I have to, I have to. It's like having the car that has the interceptor engine in it and saying, now that I have the car, I have to make sure my aunt and uncle are very pleased and proud of me. So I'm going to start pushing it around. Now, does that seem silly or not? What would you tell me if you saw me in the back of the car shoving it up the hill? <clears throat> and you say, first of all, what are you doing? Well, I have to get the car up the hill because my aunt and uncle will be pleased if I get it up the hill. Okay, great. I understand the design. But what would be your next question? Why are you doing it this way? Well, that's the way I think I need to do. Then what would you be your statement? What would you tell me? What? Why don't you get in the car? Do what? Turn the key and just put your foot on the pedal and let the car drive you as a passenger to the top of the hill. You are cooperating with it. You're not just sitting there, but you are cooperating with that which is under the hood to accomplish the pleasing of your aunt and uncle to get you to the top of the hill. Isn't that the way we live? I remember for years <clears throat> after I was saved, I tried and tried. It basically wasn't working, even though I thought a few times it was working. You know, a few little things I was successful with. 
I accomplish a couple of things for God. Did you hear how I said that? I accomplish a couple of things for God. Do you hear those? That verb and that, I mean, what is it? I is a um, pronoun and that preposition for God. God isn't calling us to accomplish anything for him. He's calling us to cooperate as he accomplishes it all in us and with us and through us. Correct? It was wearing me out to push that car down the road of my life. I mean, what's wrong with this new religion? You know, this new life. What, what is wrong here? And I'd hear sermons. You have to press in. You have to try harder. You have to pray more. Well, maybe so, but not in the context that these were given. Because they were all based on my doing something on my own. And, of course, calling God in a little bit. You know, you have to have God a little bit on this. So I'm going to do something and ask God to come along and bless this thing and, and help me get to the goal. Rather than the Holy Spirit saying, wait, wait, wait. Would you just stop for a second and stop all of your own strivings and just sit in the seat and relax and do what you know to do. Allow me to get you to the top as you cooperate with my power. Right? So much energy, so much waste. And you know what's mostly wrong with it? Jesus is not manifested. Because when you look at this man, this is a man who never tried to do anything in his own power. But here was a man who did everything in the power of God. In fact, in John five nineteen, he says, I can do nothing of my own accord. Meaning, of my own self-will. Nothing. You see the same thing in First, Second Corinthians 12. I think the, it's in your notes, perhaps. Paul is giving, what do you call it, testimony about his life. Won't go into background, but he doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it. <clears throat> and he starts off, you know, I knew a man one time about 14 years ago, whether he was in the spirit, in the, I, I don't know about that, in and out, whatever. but all, but I will gonna, I'm going to brag about this man because this man went to the third heaven, meaning paradise. In other words, he went face to face with Jesus himself. And to this man was given by God great, great mysteries, great revelation. And he doesn't say it there, but we certainly know it's true because we've heard him say it in other places. And this man was specifically anointed and commanded by God and given by God the responsibility to carry the message of Jesus Christ's love for us to the Gentiles. This man had placed on him the incredible command of God to go, to go. So guess what? He comes out of this, if you would, spiritual state. Paul is ready to get going. That's my, my ears going off. Let me turn off this thing. 
It's what you happen when you have. I'll call you back. No. So, Paul is, I'm a nice fellow. So, Paul is commanded to go. Look, each one of us are commanded to go. Paul is a man of zeal. So, guess what he does? And I have to be careful about this because I may not be able to move for a few moments. But he gets back here and he says, I had the command. I had the message. I have it. And he does have it. I'm going out. I'm ready to run the race. And I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. And so here I go. Uh Oh, wait, something's going wrong in me. Uh I got a thorn in the back of my side here. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 7? It was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, that I might be what? Humbled. Oh, man. Now, what would you do? And what do we do? When we feel something is impeding our ability to live, if you would, for God. There's something in the way, a a sin issue, a, a weakness. A person in your life that really, if it weren't for her or him, what do we do? What's the first thing we do? We ask God what? Come on, come on, keep it. What? Get this out of me. Am I right? Any of you have issues in you that you ask God to get rid of? Any of you at all? Huh? Any of you don't have issues like that? And three times, Paul says, okay, whew, I'm going to get to go run. And this man is ready to run the race of eternity. And on the first step, he gets stopped because he got something sticking in his back. Three times, he says, I entreated the Lord what? To remove it, right? What's God's answer? Verse 8. Do you have that in your notes? Here's God's answer in one word. Nope. Nope. What you mean, no? You gave me the command to go. You gave me the command to live in a way pleasing you. You gave me the command to do To live in a way that expresses the glory of your great son. I'm trying to do that. And God said, that's just the problem. You're trying to push the car up the hill. And not depend upon the engine under the hood. And when Paul saw that, my grace is sufficient for you. Because power is manifested in the midst of what? Right in the midst of what's wrong with you. In the midst of your weakness. You can't do it. You can't. And when Paul saw that, he says, oh. Oh, I'm going to be so thankful for every weakness and every problem in me. Because I know that in the midst of that The Holy Spirit will be shown to be greater than these and will be overcoming them as I cooperate with him. And the power of God will be manifested in me. This is the way the car is to work. Do we know what happened with the Apostle Paul? I mean, the world was turned upside down.
You see, if we are to fulfill God's purpose in us, we need the same power. What is God's purpose? I said in the beginning that the glory of his son, this father's joy over his son may be clearly, consistently, powerfully be displayed in us. That's what God is after. He's not after us about anything primarily about us as to what we do, but about us being the containers and the vessels of what his son will do in us as we are filled with the power of the spirit. That's what God is after. What will be some of the results? When we're filled by the Holy Spirit, we will be able to successfully stand against all the temptations of the devil. Have you been able to stand against all the temptations of the devil yet? Do we see that we clearly need the power of the Holy Spirit even to resist the least temptation? We'll be able to display the love of God. Romans 5, 5 says, for the love of God has been poured out into our lives, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the only way that love is manifested in us is by the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because the Holy Spirit is the activity and presence and reality of God's love in us. So when we are given the Holy Spirit, we're not given something, we are giving we are given the spirit of God's love himself. So we have God's love living in us. And the way that is manifested is through the power of his spirit. We will be able to grow in spiritual maturity. First Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification is a big word, meaning that you will grow in a way that regularly manifests the person of Christ. Romans 8, 29, for we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what sanctification is. We will have greater ability to share the gospel with others. Only by the Spirit. We will be empowered with the gifts of the Spirit for greater ministry to others. Annette talked about the gift of tongues. God gave her a gift to manifest in her prayer life, to augment her prayer life, in a language that is given to her by the Holy Spirit is not understood in the natural necessarily, but that in some way God uses to build her and any one of us up spiritually and increase the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So here's the question for us today. Are you content as a child of God, to be just another ordinary Christian? Are you content for any of your children or grandchildren just to be ordinary and getting by? Are you content with that? Any of you content with that? No. Not if you have a parent's heart. Are we content with being that way for our Heavenly Father? Hopefully not. And because of that, 
What are we to do? What we are to do is to ask God to fill us with his power by the Spirit. Each one of you who are in the kingdom came into the kingdom by faith. You embraced Christ, correct? You embraced him. You yielded to him. You received him. That's what you did. And the same faith that you exercised, which is a gift of God to you anyway, that allowed you to embrace God's work of saving you is the same faith that you exercise as a gift of God by embracing, asking for, and embracing God's gift of power. So what are we going to do? We're going to give each one of us an opportunity to sit here for a few minutes and to ask. And to ask with this in mind. I know. May I repeat that word? I know. May I say it one more time? I know that when I ask my heavenly father according to his will, which it is, to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit in power. I'm not going to judge it by anything other than he will keep his promise. Do we get that? I'm not going to evaluate it by anything except he keeps his promise. Remember what Jesus says in Luke? I think it's in your notes. Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's what I'm going to trust by faith. I'm going to ask. This is according to God's will. And I truly believe that God will begin to fill me with his power. Some of you may have already asked this in doing it. Regularly, regularly. I ask God regularly for greater, more fluid outpouring of his power in my life. Regularly, Joey, I ask for that. Will you ask today? What's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe nothing, quote, you feel nothing. But you know what? It's impossible for nothing to happen when we ask God. Even though you may not experience something, something is going on. God the Father is keeping his promise to you. You may experience something in here today. You may experience an emotion. You may feel a desire to, to, to uh, worship, to uh, sing, to speak in tongues, given that. I, I don't know what, but it's okay. We're not put off by that, are we, Frank? We're not afraid of it. In fact, we embrace it. We hope that God gives you a wonderful, loving experience. But because he did, do not leave here and listen to Satan's lie, which says, well, I prayed and nothing happened. Because what you're going to find out, because you prayed, you're going to begin to discover over the next day, two, three days, whatever, wait a minute. I am having an experience of overcoming this and being able to love that one and forgiving and whatever that I've not had before. 
What's going on? God's power is being manifested in you. It is impossible for a child of God to ask the Holy Spirit to fill him with the power and it not happen. Why? Because then God's a liar. And he's not a man that he should lie. Do we get this? So we're going to pray today. If you don't want to pray, you don't have to. Each one of you at your chair. But I'm going to ask you, is this an option for God? No. It's what he wants. You were saved for this purpose. So let's spend a few minutes here praying. Just allow me to maybe pray out loud, but you go ahead and pray. And just seek the Lord and ask him, Heavenly Father, fill me with power that I may express and display the extraordinary, your extraordinary son. So others may see that in this ordinary car, there is an extraordinary engine called the Lord Jesus.